0: In June of 2014, for the first time in the magazine's history, a trans woman was featured on the cover of Time magazine. It was the amazing and luminous Laverne Cox, and the headline read, The Transgender Tipping Point. Just this April, Elliot Page became the first trans man to grace the cover of the magazine. And whether 2014 marked the tipping point for popular cultures reckoning with the transgender community, I think that's debatable. Because here we are seven years later, still trying to tip, still trying to reckon, trying to understand. In 2014, I, I would say that the experience of knowing someone trans or someone going through that sort of exploration and that journey, that was still fairly unusual. Certainly not unheard of, but unusual. But in 2021, it seems like all of us are just one degree of separation from someone going through the experience of making sense of, making peace with, making a change to the gender they were assigned at birth. And whether those of us in the cisgender community are ready for it or not, culture is changing. And if you're not familiar with the term cisgendered, here's the definition, quote, denoting or relating to a person whose sense of personal identity and gender corresponds with their birth sex. Here's the thing, human beings are evolving. We are perpetually in the process of evolving as individuals, as a species, and we will continue to do so. It's the way of nature. It only ever increases in complexity. And it seems to me that gender identity and sexuality is no exception. Now, that doesn't mean I understand or fully can even wrap my mind around what it would be like to feel that my birth sex didn't match my authentic self. I, I, I can't imagine what that's like, but it does mean that it's time to be in learning mode, at least for me, listening mode, curiosity mode, trying to evolve my understanding mode. And I want to be an ally to everyone on a journey toward authenticity. And for some of us, that means moving beyond the traditional labels of gender and gender norms. And I got to tell you, I don't have the right language for it. I feel like a child going to kindergarten for the first time, trying to figure out how to use the scissors and glue and, you know, how to hang my lunchbox on the right hook. But my guest today has agreed to be my teacher for the next hour or so. And I could not have asked for a better one. You are about to meet Sean Garcia. Sean Garcia. Sean is a licensed marriage and family therapist working in private practice in my hometown San Jose. Sean is particularly passionate about serving the needs of the transgender, gender variant persons and their family, families as well as the neurodiverse population. He is currently the only transgender identified licensed therapist in Silicon Valley who facilitates a monthly transgender group for adolescents and teens. Given his personal and professional experience, Sean is currently serving as an advisory board member for Santa Clara University's School of Education and Psychology, and he's previously participated on speaking panels for high-tech companies, facilitated trainings, been an ERG board member, and task force leader for PFLAG in Oregon, as well as a member of the Bellarmine College Prep Transgender Task Force. Prior to psychotherapy, Sean spent a decade in global marketing operations and training. He's combined his mindset for business with his passion for mental health. Sean attributes his success to quality education, a strong moral code, unyielding faith, living with intention, and having an entrepreneurial spirit. So that's the front of the business card. The back of the business card is that I heard Sean Garcia speak at one of Michelle Walsh's incredible village well gatherings. Google it. She is amazing. And if you love soul nourishing gatherings on Saturday mornings, her self-love series is not to be missed. Anyway, I heard him there and he blew my mind and I knew I had to have him on my show to talk to my people too. Now, a couple of words of caution before we dive in. Number one. Number one. I am asking Sean these questions and for advice because he agreed to play the role of teacher and, and educator in this particular format, in this particular podcast interview. I do not believe that the LGBTQ plus community owes me, a cisgendered person, any education. It is not incumbent upon them to constantly educate me on their personal experiences. It's up to me to educate myself. I say that because I think it could be the experience of trans people, uh, especially um, these days with so much awakening happening. And I think a lot of trans people may just wanna be left alone to live their lives and be treated like everybody else was to get groceries, file their taxes, and take care of their aging parents and raise their kids, right? not every person wants to be the walking representative diplomat educator on all things trans, right? So I just want to caution us. Um, it can be tempting to feel like we are being open-hearted by asking deep questions of people from the LGBTQ plus community, but not everybody wants to talk about their, or, their personal lives that way, right? So I just wanted to flag that. Second thing, Sean Garcia is here to share his journey and to offer his observations as a licensed therapist. He is not here to represent all experiences, trans or otherwise. Just want to make that clear. And lastly, I say some stupid things in this conversation, ignorant things. I use wrong words And instead of editing it out to make myself look more woke than I am, I kept it all in because I want to share with you what I'm learning. And hopefully my bumbling prevents you bumbling and inadvertently hurting other people with words you didn't even realize were harmful. Please know that I'm doing my best and I sincerely apologize to anyone who experiences pain because of what I say in my ignorance. I will do better As Maya Angelou says, when you know better, you do better. Okay, so enough preamble. Jeez, let's get into this and I will see you on the other side. Meet Sean Garcia. I want to start by asking you to tell your story. Like, tell us where you sort of began this journey and what it was like before and how you make
1: this. Tell tell me your story, Sean. It may seem appropriate to start in the beginning, but I kind of want to start in the end. Do it. And it's really just a comma. It's not a period, obviously. It's a comma. Yeah. Yeah. I fully feel like I have an integration with my inner feminine and inner masculine. And those those things were out of whack in the beginning. And I didn't know what it was. Mm. Something just didn't feel right. Looking back, I believe that it's a bit clearer. It's almost as if, and I love metaphors. Mm. it's almost as if you're putting a puzzle together and you don't have the box cover. But once you get to quote the end or the, the comma, the integration, mm. you now have the box cover. And so you can kind of look back and beyond the corner pieces, right. you really know where does all that blue fall? Where does all the yellow fall? Wow. And you begin to see patterns because we look for patterns and puzzles. Yeah. And the patterns became clearer as I once I had this this awareness and integration to go back and say, yes, there's this was very clear. It's very clear to me now. Dissonance then.
0: Yeah. Clarity now. What did that feel like? What does dissonance feel like when the masculine is imbalanced with the feminine in such to such a degree that you realize, like, wow, the box cover that they've given me has absolutely nothing to do with the puzzle pieces I'm working with. So this isn't for me. Like, what is that? Feel like inside of you? What did that feel
1: like? It was an unsettled feeling. Mm. And there was a nuance in communication, Mm. gendered language, gender body language, signs of affection Mm. that didn't click. Wow. Like, give me an example. And I would be anxious. Yeah. Yeah. Things would be expected of me as a little girl. Not that I grew up in a very Girly environment, but when you dress up to go to a party, you dress up in a certain way that didn't feel right. How I was perceived at those parties, like, oh, you look so pretty, well, it's a compliment, it didn't feel right. And I didn't get mad, but it didn't feel right. Wow. And then you'd have to sit a certain way that didn't feel right. How I would show affection would be different in that kind of environment. So, all the nuances of communication just did not feel exciting, it was very confusing.
0: Because it it all
1: looked appropriate. It just didn't, it did not match up.
0: And so what story were you telling yourself before you knew what you, what the path was? What story were you telling yourself to explain that disconnect? Like, were you saying I must be broken or what, what was the mental narrative around that? I'm so curious.
1: It's, it's a label and it's Tomboy. Right. That saved me up until a certain point. Yeah. Tomboy kind of lasts until high school.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then
1: once high school hits, it's like okay, the next label that seems appropriate from a societal standpoint is butch lesbian. Right, and then you got those those athletic girls, and I knew I wasn't I was athletic, but I wasn't one of those athletic girls in high school, even though I played sports. Yeah, so kind of that butch masculine lesbian kind of was the only other option, and even that created dissonance. That did didn't it, feel right because gender, which was really the crux of the yes. the box of the puzzle had nothing to do with being a lesbian because that's sexuality. So that's the closest I could get to it. So, okay. So Sean,
0: I want to pause right there because this is where a gal like me at my ripe old age, I am only just now learning disconnect and sort of decouple gender from sexuality what does it mean that gender is not the same as sexuality? How do you explain that to somebody like some old fart like me, who's just learning
1: this as a concept? Well, the the cliche thing is, is sexuality is who you go to bed with and gender is who you go to bed as. Oh my God. That's interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Because I mean, you are a sexual being, whether you go to bed alone or with somebody, but how you perform your gender And with whom you perform that is really maybe where sexuality comes into play. Yeah. And then gender is just who you live in the world as.
0: Fascinating. So, okay. So, and that, so let's say you're in high school. You're like, okay, I'm not this, but I'm also not this. At what point did you start to find language and find the kind of identity that you were like, oh my God, that's me. That's me. I found it. Like, when did you find the puzzle box cover?
1: Mm -hmm. when I was 16, 15 to 16. Mm. And that was back in 2000. So we're talking 21 years ago.
0: That was a lifetime ago.
1: Gender has really gone on a steep climb in terms of visibility and demystifying things. But 21 years ago, the only term out there was transsexual, which when I was a 15-year-old, 16-year-old, I wasn't thinking about genitalia at that time. So that didn't feel like a fit either, but that's when the term transgender just began to come out.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I had to dig mm -hmm. for
1: that. Wow. And once I found that term and the definition, because it's all about gender and more expression and identity versus having sex with somebody, which would be more on the the transsexual side, the transgender label was an absolute fit. Yeah. And that was the start of the puzzle box.
0: Were there people that you, like, how did you come across that label or that, that term? And were there people that you saw that were like, oh, that, I, that I could see myself doing? Like, do you remember a point where you saw yourself in someone else's journey that was part of that discovery or no?
1: The the irony to it is I still didn't really connect with it Wow. because I never thought that getting to the other side of being a transgender person, meaning actually executing that process, even at the time there wasn't necessarily a defined process medically, it never was concrete. Mm. So I now had this term, Mm. but I didn't even know how to execute it. Mm. So I had no fantasy of what it meant to be a man. Mm. I never, you know how girls fantasize about their weddings and they can really picture it and all that. (laughs) I never had a fantasy because it never even seemed like a possibility. Oh, interesting. So I had the label, which was enough to settle me, and it settled me for 15 more years. Wow. Wow. But it, I really wasn't settled huh. because I was chronically ill for 15 years.
0: Oh, say more about that. Was it like autoimmune freakout?
1: It was all somatic symptoms. Of course. Where I, it, All the tests came back negative. Every single test, this immense anxiety, nausea every mm-hmm. single day. And so, as a therapist, I look at symptoms like that from clients, and I'm thinking to myself, there's something to this. Yeah. Can't discredit their attachment to a label of anxiety or depression, but it is fixable.
0: Or it may be like a pathway to some deeper thing, right? Do you mm-hmm. see that? Is that super common with the people that you work with? Is it super common for them to have all of these? mystery illnesses because of all of the pushing down of the one, of the feelings and the fears and all the things.
1: I mean I truly believe it. Yeah. Just I maybe I wouldn't have as much empathy and true understanding of that if I hadn't fully experienced that cuz it just seems perplexing.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: But I believe it because the yeah. minute I came out, the mm. minute I came out to my parents at 30, mm. my symptoms disappeared. 100%. Oh God, that is Stopped oh, yeah. the medication. I have never felt that thing in my body ever again, wow. ever again. It's an immense miracle, wow. but there's something to when you release your innermost secret. Yeah. I believe my body settled.
0: Yeah. It's what do they say in AA? You're only as sick as your secrets, right? Now you, t- when I when I heard you speak the first time, Sean, you were talking about a moment in church of all places that gave you a flash of insight about yourself and your future and your identity. T- tell me about that moment.
1: So that was when I was thirty. So at fifteen, I came out when I was in high school as transgender. I didn't do anything for fifteen years until I was sitting in a church in Texas. A Christian in Texas, church.
0: of all places, pretty big.
1: <laughs> yeah, outside of Houston. Outside of Houston. And the pastor had read some passages from the Bible mm. that, you know, as Catholics, we all grew up with, but we certainly don't know our Bible. True that. Um, and I'm one of those. Yeah. So he basically, to summarize, read the passage where um, God created you in his own image and he mm. loves you unconditionally. Mm. And I sat there and I heard those words as if they were, were said to me for the first time. And I asked myself that question, if God loves me unconditionally, why can't I love myself unconditionally? That's the first thing. And the second question was, if I come out and if God is the only one who continues to love me unconditionally, would I still do it? And honestly, without any hesitation, I sat there and said yes, and the rest is history.
0: Wow.
1: Wow. There's absolutely no turning back.
0: And you know that's the actually the other really interesting dimension to your experience and your story is that you are someone who is deeply connected to your catholicism and your christianity and also deeply honest about who you are, right? How have you first of all is it possible to reconcile those two things? And number 2, if it is possible, how have
1: you done it? I take all the yes, it is possible and I take all the pomp and circumstance and ritual, and tradition out of it. Yeah. Their bare bones doesn't separate religions.
0: It's absolutely right. It's absolutely right.
1: So I believe that living an honest and authentic life is the ultimate goal that we have, purpose, in order to be stewards of whatever faith or religion that we are. I agree. Because living my life doesn't hurt anybody. It only benefits everybody when we live our true life. And that includes all of our secrets.
0: And you, when you think about your pre-16-year-old self or your pre-30-year-old self, mm-hmm. was that person mm-hmm. sending out ripples of positivity and happiness into the world, right? Oh,
1: my gosh. Yeah. Irritable, very judgmental. Oh, interesting. Because, oh, absolutely. Because every every joy that I witnessed, I couldn't understand why they would be joyful. <gasps> It was simply a projection of the lack of joy that I had.
0: Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So I want to ask you because I, for me, the, like, I, I derive so much joy in this life. And when I think of a human being living without joy because of some, fucked up gender norm that we've been fed. It makes me feel crazy. Like I want to tear down the walls and free all, you know, like I, nobody should live without joy. Do you remember the first moment you felt like, Oh my God, this is it. Like, this is incredible. I feel this, this emotion in my body and in my heart. Do you remember when that might've been?
1: There's been so many points, so many points, but the one that comes to mind as you're talking is when I sent out my letter to the people I worked with at Hewlett Packard at the time. (gasps) So I was a contractor and been a contractor for quite a few years in a global marketing position. And fortunately, my boss had a child. He was starting to transition after I had told him. Yeah, his his son was uh, five or six. So that's the first thing. And then my senior director was a lesbian woman who worked out at a gym that was made for transgender people. So it's in Kansas. What? In Kansas, mind you. So what? how I got blessed with so many wonderful, supportive people in a team while I was working in Texas, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing. So when I decided to come out, because I wasn't an employee, I didn't know what the protocols were. Right. So I reached out to my boss and then I reached out to the, my female boss above him and I asked her, what do you need to do? You know, <laughs> I, I kind of put it in her lap and she said, no, no, it's like, I don't work that way. She said, this is your story to tell with the words that you want to share. She's like, it's important that people hear your message first. And she said, then I will respond and share that with the broader community and add my comments of mm. support. So it, it was at that moment where she said, it's your story to tell in your own words. I share that with clients all the time. Oh my God. Whether you work in a big corporation or not, it's, she gave me that power to do that.
0: And what did that feel like? What did that mean to
1: you in that moment? Oh, it's like she handed that gift back to me. Wow. And I worked with people all over the world, you know, Asia, Pacific, India, obviously America, I mean, everywhere, tons of Europe, Australia, you just never know how that message will be received. And so it was probably more frightening than actually having a conversation and coming out to someone because I wasn't there to witness their reaction. And it was just a random email, you know? amidst your workday. So I wrote my, my message and I, I sent it off and then she followed up and expanded it. And I sat at my computer with a lot of anxiety, actually. I can't even imagine. it's so strange. And then within minutes, my inbox just kept adding and adding and adding from people all over. speaking of their experience, sharing their experiences of going golfing with a golf buddy that used to be a male is now a female in France and all all these different stories that would not have been shared with me if I hadn't shared my story with them.
0: Incredible.
1: And it was an, it was an absolutely incredible time.
0: My God. So
1: I'd say that's, that really stands out.
0: That's amazing. That is amazing. And, and not to dwell on it, but I'm curious, did you have the opposite experience too, where you were like, wow, that wasn't very kind. <laughs> like have, have you had those experiences too, or do the other ones just completely outweigh those?
1: I have not had a single experience like that.
0: Really? God, that is so incredible. I think there's actually a decent amount of research that supports that assertion, and it it could be so deeply hardwired into our gendered experiences, you know, evolution wise, and this, you know, all of the like biological soup that goes into who we are now. But it actually brings me to something I wanted to really ask you about because at, on my journey, because I'm I'm a cisgendered woman, and I find myself like so many of us, I'm learning. I feel like I'm sipping at the fire hose, right? I'm learning so much about gender. And the one that I, uh, like transgender, I get all that. The one I struggle with because I'm not good at the languaging of it is non-binary. My mouth has a hard time with they, them only because it's a plural pronoun for a single human. And I really stumble. Tell me about just from like a, if I was sitting across from somebody who's non-binary and let's say they are in the, I don't know how to use this language. So you please correct you me. You just used it. I you did. You just
1: used it. I said they? they're they sitting. You said, you just said they're sitting across from me.
0: Okay, good. I'm making. Progress.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have to think you just did it. I yeah. just
0: did it. And I think that mm-hmm. that might be the first thing is that the more we practice, the easier it gets. Absolutely. Is that right?
1: Absolutely.
0: Okay. So let's say, and this is the next question I have for you. Let's say I'm sitting across from a non-binary person and they present in a body type that is traditionally designated as female. They are, they look, if you pass them on the street, you would say that's a woman or that's a man, but they are self-identified as non-binary. What does that mean? What is behind that? Like, from the perspective of the non-binary person, what is? And I know you can't speak for all humans, but
1: mm-hmm. tell
0: us a little bit about what it means to the person when they choose that identification.
1: They may choose the pronouns, but they are it. Mm-hmm. They are that identity. Mm-hmm. So I'm not non-binary, but I would I would presume to say that they don't feel like they are aligned solely to one of the binary gender or the other. Mm.
0: And when you say not aligned, you mean that there's that In, discomfort, that anxiety, that mismatch feeling? Yes, it may be just
1: non-compliance with uh, traditional gender roles. Yeah. Expression. Some people may call it integration. I don't know if I would necessarily call it that. Got it's it. a holding of both. Mm-hmm. I view it as it's more of a holding of both. Yeah. And it gives them the freedom to yeah. accentuate one or the other as they feel comfortable in each moment or each environment. Yes. Whereas as a transgender person and it's not speaking for all transgender people but for yeah. me that gender binary is integrated in me. Mm-hmm. I can act wearing a wearing what I wear in one day I can access my inner feminine and then my mm-hmm. inner masculine throughout yeah. the day. I don't yeah. need to just hold one at a time. Yeah, They can present both, but they're holding both. I'm just Mm. holding one and it's Mm. both of them together.
0: Mm, mm, mm. I think that makes a lot of sense. It's interesting when you talk about masculine and feminine energies, that resonates with me deeply because, you know, in my work, I for so many years of my career, I was always working in rooms where I was one of the only women in the room. And I very much had to tap into my inner masculinity to hold my own in those conversations. But I understand what you mean. I was fully in my female gender, but I was absolutely harnessing, tapping into leveraging my masculinity. And when I left that room, it would recede and something else Mm. would come forward. Mm -hmm. Is that in the same neighborhood of what you're talking about?
1: A non-binary person would have to say. Yeah. 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 I don't know what the inner feeling is like for them. If they can feel that woven. Yeah. Um, From my experience working with non-binary people, Mm -hmm. um, I've had many speak of, I'm really sitting in my mail today. I'm really sitting in my female today. And and I could pick up on it even through the screen. I can definitely pick up on it.
0: That's so beautiful, actually. There's something really beautiful about that. Mm -hmm. How Mm -hmm. incredible that we're entering this season of humanity where there's that flexibility, right? I mean, does it give you hope, Sean? Do you think in our area? Yeah.
1: In in our area. area. Yeah, we are a microcosm.
0: Right. Yeah. 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 Although it sounds like I mean, Texas sounded like it was. On and popping. Like, what was your experience like in Texas?
1: Amazing. It baffles people when I say that I did all of my hormonal and medical transition there. There are, I believe that because it's a conservative area, those who are serving the transgender population are doing it out of a pure calling. And they've been doing it for decades. Wow. Before this was ever, you know, mainstream.
0: Yeah. 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 In
1: a, a liberal place, a little in a conservative place. Yeah. So there is such richness and connection with those who are walking this journey because they've needed to stay so closely knit for safety and for community and for fun. Whereas now we can find an LGBTQ group at Facebook and within LinkedIn <laughs> and so Apple and yeah. right. Um, yeah. But when you're in a place where those things are not offered, you find your group and it is your family. And many times it is people's family. And, yeah, and the doctors are just it's a true calling.
0: That's incredible. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. So when you think about gender, you know, I was looking, I can't remember where I was, what I was filling out, but there was this form and it was like gender, male or female. And it was still one or the other. And I thought to myself, this is not long for this world. I mean, you know, are do you think we're moving towards a, a dynamic where gender just isn't relevant anymore as an identifier? Like, where do you think this
1: is all going, Sean? Gender has nothing to do with a medical purpose. It's all societal Mm. um, and connection is where gender comes into play. Medically speaking, yes, we have organs of a certain type. Yeah. But in terms of needing to check off a box on how you present slash identify, I don't really see the relevance.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I even saw a change Mm. in when we did our first COVID testing back in, let's say a year ago to today. Their form has changed. Has it really? Mm-hmm. Good for them. It used to, it, Yeah, yeah. It, it has two different sections. One is how do you identify and it gives all the range. And then the other one is what's uh, something along the lines of biological anatomy.
0: Interesting.
1: Which can be triggering, I suppose, for transgender yeah. people who don't want to even see that there. I see it as a necessity. I want people to know that if I get rushed into the hospital, yeah. they know what organs I have. It's important yeah. to me.
0: Yeah, you know. Yeah.
1: Let's not right. just fish around. Well,
0: I guess but, it depends but- on context, right? Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. makes so much sense. Okay. So, mm-hmm. where I wanted to just sort of take this and perhaps we'll end here. For those, so I was talking to my two good friends the other night, and we were talking about how 20 years ago, none of us knew people that were going through any kind of gender transition of any kind. I mean, I had interactions with transgendered people. You know, way out of context, but none of nobody in our friend group or our friends' kids or nothing. Now, all of us, every single one of us that was at that event, and I think there was like nine of us, all of us had one degree of separation from someone who was either actively transitioning or who had transitioned. And that was totally new creation. What is your perspective on why it's now finally reached this tipping point
1: of mainstream? That's a loaded question.
0: I know. Yeah, because,
1: because certainly, if we, if we look at it from a medical standpoint, yeah, it's taken a while for medicine to catch up. Certainly, mm-hmm. I think maybe because it's at the forefront, it's all the work that's been done on a pediatric level has, I think, really brought it to the forefront. Interesting. When I came out, there were no options um, on a pediatric level. Yeah. For stopping menstrual cycles and hormone blockers and all of that that's available now Yeah, for kids. And I think since that's come out and been promoted in, you know, Stanford and UCLA uh, and then some in New York, that's really brought it out from mm. the younger grades. Mm. And then the elder people, the elders of this community, you know, used to identify as transsexual. Now they may be able to say I'm transgender actually. Yeah. Right. And, so, and it's a kind of a sandwich approach. And then yeah. all the ones in the middle are kind of bubbling up as a result of that, too, who missed the opportunities for blockers. Oh, interesting. But are being welcomed into a community now on both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Who say, oh, yeah, we know what transgender is.
0: Yeah. Wow. So
1: I, I believe it's the, it's the younger, the much younger kids and, and the medical. Which Providers. actually
0: brings up one thing. And, and I me- I remember asking you about this when I saw you speak the last time, but I want to ask it again, because as a mom, when you hear about you know medical interventions in children, your initial instinct, at least for me, I can't speak for all mothers, is like, oh my God, that seems medical intervention. That seems drastic. I'm forcing an unnatural thing on this child. But that's not necessarily what's going on. How would you mm-hmm. describe the sort of risk benefit that parents might want to go through if their kid is like, look, this is what I think I want to do. Like talk through a non-hysterical version of what it really means to intervene young.
1: Well let's just talk the risks are will far out outweigh. Well we'll sway you to the benefits. The yeah. risk is self-harm, chronic illness, and suicide. I mean, yeah. it's proven. It is proven. So, in terms of medical interventions, it's not about suddenly flipping a switch and having your kid present male or female the next day. Mm. Especially when the children are younger, it's all about putting a pause on their discomfort. Yes, right. Whether that's stopping their period or putting them on blockers to retain their body, you know, prepubescent body, so that when they get older, they won't have to go through any of these surgeries. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a huge gift that you could give your child. And if you find that they When the time comes to remove the blocker, which is about two years after puberty starts, then at that time, they're 14, 15, and they could just transition at that point or not. Right. So it really buys
0: you time while also preserving their mental health and their state of well-being, it sounds like.
1: You know, mainstream society doesn't have the opportunity that I have to sit in front of of a child, truly a child and tell them that I support them and will write them a letter of support to get a blocker. You would think that I've just given them the biggest Christmas present. I had two situations, just in, well, once this last week and once a couple of weeks ago, where the face on these children, on each of these kids lit up and one jumped out of their chair. They just looked at me and said, thank you. Oh. And if I could share that image with people outside of the clinical room, yeah, this is what's happening. This, a cisgendered kid would never even think to ask for something like this, nor get excited about something like that. It's just out of the realm of what you ask for. This is an absolute need.
0: It's a necessity.
1: And they could not have planned their response. It is just an innate response to someone saying, I'm with you on this. Let's do it.
0: Wow. So if you had, you know, there's a lot of parents listening to this conversation. If you could wave a magic wand and have a parent react in the most constructive, loving way to a child sharing these thoughts, this desire, while also honoring that it's, you know, it's different than what we anticipated with that child. Mm how do you respond? Like as a communication coach, I'm fascinated by situations in which we have to take care of our own reactions that are legit, but also take care of the treasure that is our child and what they're going through. What what might a script like that look or sound like or feel like, Sean?
1: <laughs> it's simple because scripts, we can get bubbled. It could just bubble off and be interpreted incorrectly. Yes, true. It's just to stay curious So if your child comes to you and says, "I want to wear a skirt," or "Can we order a skirt?" Just be like, "Hmm," in your own mind, go rather than judge. It's like I'm really curious. Like, why does he want? Why does he want a skirt? Yes. Wow. He had a lot of courage to ask me because boys don't usually ask their moms for a skirt. Mm. Whoa! It takes you out of your fear and into their world. Like something is happening here. Yes. And I'm really curious Mm. because the fear can creep in so quickly. Immediately, right? The curiosity will keep you in the present moment. The fear of the future will come later, (laughs) but in that moment, just absolute curiosity, because the fact that if your child is coming to you, that is such a great sign.
0: Right? It means that's a gift they're giving
1: to you as the mom saying or the parent, yeah, saying I want to share this with you,
0: Mm.
1: and they need you to hold it tenderly. Yeah, and at the same time, you hold your own emotions tenderly too, because your child doesn't have the same capacity. to deal with your emotions and theirs.
0: And theirs. And that right there is the, this is why I think if I could like turn back time or if I could like broadly educate new parents, it would be that, you know, when you're pregnant, it's like, oh, is it a boy or a girl? And in that process, there's so many tribal traditions around, it's a girl, pink, dresses, blah, blah, blah. It's a boy, this, this, and this. And what it does is it sets you up for this feeling of like, oh my God, the tribe is going to reject my child because they're no longer playing by the rules. And so the, re- the reactions we have as aunts or uncles or whomevers, part of it is like, oh my God, you know, th- this isn't what I thought their future would be. The other part is that we fear for them. We have fear mm-hmm. of how they'll be treated, right? And that's real,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but not mm-hmm. helpful to the child. The real good thing mm-hmm. to process with your friends mm-hmm. or your therapist, but not mm-hmm.
1: awesome Absolutely. for the
0: child. Am I right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because they'll certainly pick up on your energy. Yeah. They gave this to you because they want you to do something with it because they don't know what to do with it. Yes. So oh. they need you to kind of get your feet on the ground. Yes. And help them.
0: Yeah. And if you can't remember to get your feet on the ground and help them, you can just remember the word. Sit on the ground. Curious. Yeah. <laughs> sit Stay on the ground curious. with them. Get <laughs> <laughs> curious and sit crisscross applesauce on the ground and talk about it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. And get help. I mean, have you have you noticed that, first of all, how long have you been in practice for?
1: In my own private practice, going yeah. on a year next month.
0: And but I've been you- in
1: private practice for two and a half years. Years. Got it.
0: And have you noticed a steady increase since you began in young people coming to you and saying, "Oh my gosh, I need help navigating this."
1: Exponential. Yeah. What I a, mean, I see clients as young as young as nine and up until sixties. Wow. So it's never. It's never too late. <laughs> I I think that you are
0: such a gift. I think healers and practitioners that do what you do are so precious and important to humanity right now as a whole. I think you're on the front lines. I mean, I I always say, I like to tweak the quote a little bit, but I think the arc of the universe bends towards authenticity and we cannot rest until we feel fully ourselves. And that, as my beloved business coach, Ben Kiker says, we are not for everybody. Right, like part Uh of that journey towards authenticity is surrendering the need to be liked and accepted and admired and all of the things. It's this willingness to be like, like you said, if all I know is that the only person that accepts me unconditionally is God, is that enough? And when it's a yes, that feeling of authenticity and originality and and fidelity to true self, like I think that's the greatest gift anyone can give anybody else by example. So I just want to thank you for being that example for so many people.
1: Oh, well, thank you so much. It's, You're welcome. it's a gift. It's a gift that I, I love to be a witness to, to be in the presence of someone revealing their true self to someone else for the first time is, it's almost like being, I've, I've always wanted to be at the birth of a child. And I feel, I'm beginning to feel like this is my, this is what I've been given Yeah. to yes. see the birth of people. So, but well, in a very different way.
0: I think that is so beautiful. And I'm so, so glad we got the chance to talk. And I thank you.
1: Thank you so much.
0: what a conversation. I love how Sean sees his work almost like midwifing the birth of someone's authentic self. I mean, is there a higher calling than that? I don't think there is. And I loved how patient he was with me and my questions and my ignorance. And I, you know, the thing that I was the most Embarrassed about in that interview, if I'm being super honest, was when I was talking about non binary. And I used the words choose when someone chooses the pronouns they, them. Because before my conversation with Sean, that's what I thought it was. It was a choosing, it was a preference, right? You notice that language? What Sean made me realize is that this isn't a choosing, it is a revealing. It is an actualizing of what is already there. It is within them being brought out. And that was a massive aha moment for me. Massive. This is why I love language so much. There's so much inside of a word. And I appreciated that Sean gave me the space to be an idiot so that I could learn and wake up because that's the point of all this right? And if you're listening to this and you're feeling unsettled and uncomfortable, and maybe someone close to you is on a journey of gender and identity, and that journey is confusing and upsetting for you, listen, I get it. As humans, we fear what we don't understand. But what I can say is this, the core of my religious beliefs, my spiritual practice, is that my job every day is to bring to life what the Our Father prayer says when it says, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I believe it is our job to transform the experience of earth into something more like heaven. And in my understanding of heaven, we are all loved. We are all accepted and enough, perfect, capable, and necessary. And every time I remember that job, it allows me to relax and just celebrate and connect with the magnificent human being with whom I'm speaking without trying to categorize them or label them or change them or fix them just to suit my worldview. I just want to be present to the miracle that is already in them. And that is my hope for you as well. Thank you for listening. And if you know someone who's struggling with this as a cisgendered person, please consider sharing this episode and the gift That is Sean Garcia, and I'll see you next time. Shine on, my friend. If you haven't already, go ahead and hit subscribe so you can get the latest episodes delivered hot off the press. Or if you think of someone who could really use this message, share it with them. Also, If you're looking to take this further and go further and faster on this journey as a communicator, head over to BronwynCommunications.com forward slash subscribe. And on Monday mornings, you will receive a communication concept or tip to work with for the week. And on Saturday mornings, you'll receive a short little email with three things I am digging right now. It's just a fun little Saturday morning snippet to get you going. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at BronwynSF and LinkedIn. And if your company or organization needs a high-voltage keynote speaker who knows how to melt faces and blow minds virtually, I'm your gal. So shoot me a note and let's make some magic happen. Find me at BronwynCommunications.com and shine on. Thank you for
1: listening.